Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Chris Tasker. He is CEO at Global Cannabinoid Solutions. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the UK and the U- EU market. Um, that's kind of a fun part of this program is getting out of the US a little bit and really seeing what's going on with cannabis on a more global basis. Uh, you know, obviously, we're lots of drama and lots of interesting things here in the US, and, and uh, we tend to get focused on that, and we forget that uh, cannabis really is a global industry, a global market, and there's lots of countries doing really, really interesting stuff and really helping people get access to the plant and different products uh, and really learn more about it and how it can be effective in different situations and in different conditions. So with that, Chris, welcome to the program. Thanks so much, Bruce. I'm uh, very excited to be on here and uh, share my knowledge with uh, your audience as best I can and hopefully fill in a few gaps with people about the UK market, what's going on yeah. in Europe and uh, yeah, what's in store as well for the next few years. Yeah, great. Um, so w- before we kind of I guess, dig into all the kind of nuances of what's going on right now. Can you give, give us a, just a high level, like how is cannabis treated in the UK and EU, right? I mean, in the US, we've got this funny thing that it's still a, a illegal, federally illegal substance. How, like from a 
sort of regulatory structural point of view, how does cannabis fit into the you know medical pharmaceutical sort of system in in Europe there? So I'll give a little high level overview of uh, I guess how you could maybe frame it in terms of yeah just a bit of a mental model almost. Um, so like most places, we've got that pretty large illicit black market that still exists. So although it's not legal, that is where, well, we still have massive amounts of consumption across Europe and the UK. Mm -hmm. I believe it's about 9,000 tonnes of cannabis is basically consumed each year. And that's several billion pounds worth of cannabis Mm -hmm. uh, that is basically moving through the hands of organised crime in the black market and not currently being taxed directly. So um, that makes up the majority of consumption and production at the moment in the UK. And again, very similar for the rest of Europe. Do you have a sense of what what percentage of consumption is illicit market versus uh, legal market? Currently, I'd probably say 90% is still illicit consumption. And obviously, we've got a growing wellness market now. So in the form Mm -hmm. of CBD products, drinks, but the actual uptake of that hasn't been as high as estimated. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a massive knowledge barrier, basically, and a lot of those people and would-be CBD product consumers still navigate towards the black market because they've got a friend that produces it, say, or they've got um, someone in their community. Yeah, exactly. Johnny down the street can can get them a, a really good deal on a really good product, yeah. Precisely. So those CBD products in an unregulated space still, they're very much in their early phases of reining in the market, what what should be allowed in products, what sort of testing methods are being used, what concentrations and contamination levels are acceptable. Mm-hmm. And so that's what many people know or maybe heard of the novel foods process that we have at the moment. But unfortunately, that's very slow and quite bureaucratic and also, I think, slightly out of the scope of the food standards agencies in the UK. So we've got, yeah, pretty much people who are used to looking at sandwiches, for example, um, <laughs> looking at CBD products and trying to work out a sensible um, yeah. mo- mo- like, model for... We know for... how to do lettuce. We just now have to figure out devil's lettuce. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's really, it's almost predictable that it's been so slow, but also quite, it's painful, but also quite comical at the same time because it's yeah. just tying and, itself and, in knots at the moment. I'm just curious, how... You know, CBD versus THC, legality, regulated point of view, are there differences? Like in the U.S., we have this whole like 0.3% THC or right. less is considered hemp, which is under the farm bill. Like we've got this funny, these funny, somewhat arbitrary lines that are drawn. How How is the CBD THC world handled in the U.K. and Europe? So we've gone for that same arbitrary differentiation. So we allow... Most of the cannabinoids in CBD products, apart from THC and its sort of precursors and offspring. So although THC and CBD are pretty much twins and have the same formula and uh, have very similar action, we've gone, we've seemed to have drawn the line of THC being too psychoactive and CBD is just psychoactive enough to be acceptable for (laughs) widespread consumption. So a lot of these lines have really not been drawn on any fact. It's more the fear around THC causing schizophrenia in people. And so we have a zero tolerance on THC and CBD products. However, you will still find lots of THC and other cannabinoids and other elements in CBD products that are bought over the counter because of just producers think that you're allowed 0.3% THC, for example, in a product, but that's actually in reference to hemp cultivars and production in the UK. 
But what's holding all of this back is really that you can't extract in the UK too. So everything's coming from overseas and God knows mm. where from as well. So there's a lot of holes in the system that's been set up. The big focus has been on safety, but in reality, a lot of the regulations haven't actually delivered that much more safety. And they've just been a bit of a bureaucratic attempt at reining in some of the chaos that's there. Um, and yeah. I should also stress as well, there's been zero public education or public information around any of this too. There's been a few press releases around CBD, but there's been like, there's nothing in the way of educational consumer protection. Like there is say for alcohol, where they tell you how many units are in a drink mm -hmm. and um, how many units is safe, for example, or there's no, but yeah, very few public health and public service measures that are there to sort of support all of these new products and their safe consumption. So um, that's a big area that we're trying to sort of fill in at the moment. So in addition to those wellness products that are there, there's then a slice of private medicine where we have cannabis clinics where people can go purchase cannabis prescriptions or, sorry, I should rephrase that, see a doctor, qualify, and then purchase a prescription privately through one of these clinics. Okay. There you can purchase THC as a patient, but that is obviously under the supervision of a doctor who is, again, ideally very well trained in the area, but again, that's not quite as tightly regulated or as tightly overseen as it potentially could be. And so it's all very much an infant system at the moment. And all of those areas, the CBD and private healthcare sectors that have been set up are just sort of taking a small slice of that 90% black market and trying to rein in some of that. But again, there's a massive uh, tide to turn and also a lot of stigma to fight as well. So um, it's difficult for a lot of those companies that are selling cannabis products to differentiate themselves from the black market and also shed that sort of stigma that comes with cannabis products. So particularly, say, for the banking processes, the marketing, you still can't market online cannabis products, obviously, as well investors things like that there's a lot of skepticism still around products and i'd say rightly so because there's a lot of um shaky claims yeah. and uh shaky businesses there but a lot of claims being thrown around as well so the gold rush isn't uh necessarily continued but it's still sort of there and i think as it evolves a bit more obviously these are gonna mature and yeah. uh, hopefully evolve and uh innovate further but uh, at the moment for consumers it's not a great landscape and for the majority of uk patients for example who are used to having their prescriptions paid for on the nhs this is just a bit of a well can't really afford it and um, mm -hmm. in some cases family are selling homes family heirlooms in order to then pay for the prescriptions and for their kids that lives yeah. depend on it um, in yeah. some cases so functional but far from uh, perfect and mm -hmm. lots that we can learn from the us as well but uh subsequently haven't but uh, I, I suppose on a positive note that leaves lots of uh, room for improvement and development so the, the eternal yeah optimist. i love it <laughs> yeah i try my best i guess you have to be uh in the uk it's uh if you're not then uh <laughs> it's a depressing <laughs> life i gotta say so yeah we're getting I'd there love, so yeah no i get it no that was helpful so I'd, lo I'd love to get a little bit more insight on your personal kind of journey involvement like how, how did you get involved in this what angle do you come from give me give me a kind of your story on professionally and how it relates to cannabis yeah so i started off innocently enough doing a medical research degree at the university of nottingham in the uk and as part of that medical research degree and the completion of it we had a project that we got to basically specialise in an area of research under a professor. 
Um, and so I ended up spotting CBD and PEA, which is an endocannabinoid, and it's used in the gut. And so I ended up doing first-hand research on gut tissue, looking at how endocannabinoid CBD influence the endocannabinoid system in the human gut. And from there, just basically went down the rabbit hole of research, finding all of these uh, wonderful nuggets of information and just pretty much uh, blew my mind to pieces finding about the endocannabinoid system. And as I have to check that, I was even reading it right at some points because it's just so far away from what you hear in the mainstream. And it even contradicts a lot of the the medical curriculum in the UK as well. So we had lots of doctors that were very standoffish about it and um, a lot of resistance in in the university as well, just um, with people not quite being able to wrap their heads around cannabinoids and cannabis being used as a potential therapeutic. So frustrated as I was with all that information and sort of seeing all these patient conversations in the media, I swiftly got involved in the industry or the proto industry then before the law change in 2018 and doing lots of educational talks for patient communities, dragging lots of my uh, research friends out to uh, patient cannabis clubs, social clubs, yep. um, where we were doing talks with patients, doing sort of myth busting and they'd come to us with different questions. We'd put together little research portfolios and this is all pre, pre-law change. And then post-2018, I stayed on to do a master's, but was also consulting for CBD companies then that emerged post-law change. And so, yeah, since 2019, we've uh, been operating as a business through Global Cannabinoid Solutions and bringing all of that research knowledge and expertise from the cannabinoid field into the industry and uh, into the sort of business sector as best we can, while still uh, performing our community duties and uh, sort of public education efforts. But at the core of it, yes, trying to bring some of this science and knowledge and research to the industry and help the industry make use of some of it as well. So a bit of an uphill battle, but we're getting there. And um, (laughs) that's basically been uh, the transition. And um, it's been a bit of an interesting cyclical journey in a way. And uh, everything's fought on through COVID. So it's all worked out for the best so far. And uh, yeah, very lucky to have a wonderful community of people that we work with and a yeah, wonderful network of fellow experts and scientists and uh, entrepreneurs too. Uh-huh. And are you primarily focused on advancing research, about getting existing research into kind of practice? I mean, I guess what's, what, what is the, I guess your primary focus, what's the kind of business model that you, you know, are kind of instantiating and, and what do you ultimately hope to achieve mm. with, with the business? So a big part of why we started was public education and connecting all of this knowledge and research that we were undertaking with the public and helping them navigate this weird ecosystem that we now have around cannabis products. But that now extends into helping businesses understand that research. So there's a training element uh, that we have where we pass that knowledge on. But then we can also bring in and rely on the expertise of um, some of our scientific community to supplement skill gaps, knowledge gaps in businesses and apply some of that research and science and the learnings from that research to their businesses and just come up with new ideas, novel techniques, novel products, new approaches to connecting the products with consumers, understanding how the products work and uh, just the communication of all of the business business elements, scientific elements and sort of uh, political elements as well that sort of all are tied together in this uh, cannabis ecosystem. So it's an element of, uh, yeah, knowledge transition, knowledge transfer, but also then the application of that knowledge and creation of new 
opportunities and IP and knowledge out of that as well. So yeah, trying to be as uh, multifaceted as we can and just as useful as we can and uh, make sure that all of these lovely researchers, and I say all of these lovely researchers, there's not many of us. And so half the game's <laughs> been trying to digitize some of that and make it more accessible and efficient and um, uh, open yeah. to the public. As I, as I like to say, we could, we could feed them a two, two boxes of pizza <laughs> kind, of, kind of size group. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Let me understand a little bit about where, I guess, how research works there, what, what you're focused on in terms of mm-hmm. research in the UK and the EU versus research that's happening other places. I mean, in, you know, the US were, you know, sort of stymied and hindered by this whole kind of federal status and there isn't yeah. very, very limited research. So a lot of folks have been relying upon the stuff coming out of Israel and, and some other countries that are a little bit more embracing of cannabis or at least embracing on the, the research side of it. Like what, how does, you know, what does the research process look like? How has cannabis been handled and, and what are you looking on for sort of domestic and international in terms of new knowledge coming out? So I'll give you a little personal, like my personal perspective and what I've experienced as I've gone through that sort of university nook in a way or that sort of process so when i first stated out we had there's a pretty lengthy ethical process to go through to get research approved and what i quickly found was that a lot of the prohibition what would i say scars almost still remained in the sense that uh, a lot of the research was held back by small bits of bureaucracy i suppose and different structures that maybe hadn't caught up to the current state of affairs so what you find is that the different research institutions have different perspectives and obviously levels of access i suppose as to what they can safely research and um, within those institutions as well are different perspectives on how maybe some of that research would be perceived or they themselves may not understand that research so there's a lot of aversion um, when you're trying to push through cannabinoid research in different ways I remember what we waited for six seven months before we got approval to test cannabinoids in colorectal cancer tumors of of people Mm -hmm. Um, and what they couldn't wrap their head around was um, they kept thinking that we were giving patients cannabis and they were like you can't do that and that wasn't what we were doing but they couldn't understand that we were taking tumors from people with colorectal cancer who were having those tumors removed anyway Mm -hmm. and then testing those tumors in a lab and seeing how those tumors and cells responded to cannabinoids and what was going on there at a cellular level so that back and forth took yeah six months to sort of break (laughs) through and then you've got lots of people who are then looking at it, they're speaking to their supervisors, word travels around the university. And so at different stages, I was having interventions from different surgeons saying, I can't believe that you're allowed to do this research at this university and that you're you're giving drugs to patients and you're growing cannabis at a university hospital. We're not doing any of that, but there's the confusion and the misinterpretations and the the stigma was uh, quite interesting to experience just at that university level. But um same goes for now at a national level it's very difficult to get those early sort of um bits of research moved forward funded as well there's often lots of questions around that and so it is that's really the bottleneck at the moment i think is more of that administrative element to commencing research funding research although yes cannabinoid research is very prominent internationally in the uk we're just sort of getting to grips with some of the more 
nitty gritty research. So a lot of research at the moment is say um, observational and they'll look at patients consuming those products in a certain setting. So say spasticity and a THC spray. What they won't be looking at is what's going on inside the body. So they can say, well, look, the the spasms have reduced, okay. but they can't necessarily say what's causing that reduction in spasm right. at a cellular level. And so a lot of drugs and cannabis medicines, we don't actually know how they work. So although we have a fairly good idea of how THC, say, interacts with the CB1 receptor, we don't know the downstream effects of all of that. And so it's not as simple as flicking on a light switch, but one flick of a light switch has a cascade of events and we don't really know what happens once cannabinoids are consumed. And so we've got lots of doctors, say, giving out cannabis, not really knowing what that's doing to the body at a cellular level and so potentially doing more harm than good over the longer term. So we have all of these, although at the research level it's pretty, there's a scientific process to follow once it goes into the implementation almost that a human medical industrial side and consumer-facing side, that's yeah. where a lot of errors are then also made. And I guess those are translational errors, but also over-generalizations as well. So people will read one research paper and think that, that that's solid fact and established fact. You've, it's often one snapshot of a topic. And so yeah. you need multiple snapshots to basically build up the big picture and see what's really going on. And so there's a lot of holes i'd say probably in the private medicine and clinical process and understanding of cannabinoids in that private medical setting but also this is going to apply to the nhs nurses doctors as well in mm-hmm. the conventional medical uh, sphere too so this this massive knowledge gap we've got a whole new wave of products but very little experience or knowledge or understanding as to how they truly work so i can understand the resistance of the pharmaceutical industry to say welcoming these products in mm-hmm. because we really don't know enough about what happens once they enter the body. We know the effects to a certain degree, but we don't know how those effects are occurring and whether those are potentially then causing more harm than good. So I can see the ca- understand the caution, but also um, there's a lot of barriers in the way that are stopping us from moving forward and potentially answering those questions too, yeah. uh, which is, uh, yeah, obviously a shame, but part of Part of the slow uh, Western world, and uh, I suppose we'll get there, and there are a lot of countries that have been more ready to adopt, i.e. Israel that we've mentioned, Mm -hmm. but the UK is pretty traditional in its view and uh, rather conservative in its approach to a lot of these things, and you can provide all the information in the world, but if it doesn't suit, I guess, the agenda or the, uh, especially at a political level, doesn't suit the image at the moment or the message that the political parties want to promote then it's not gonna yeah it's not gonna feature and so cannabis is sort of like a backroom conversation that's being had at the moment and not quite a forefront topic but i think we'll get there um it's just massively lacking in well compared to israel you the uk is massively behind in terms of research and what we can do or what we're doing but in terms of what we can do i think yeah again a lot of uh scope for progress moving forward and there's no reason we couldn't be a a research powerhouse really but we need to have the conversation first, I suppose. Yeah, I'm curious on the uh, on the political side, not not to get too political on this, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, how much do you feel, or how much do you see, kind of the politics kind of impacting policy, or you know, what gets researched, what doesn't get researched, you know, versus existing industries. I mean, in the states here, we've got 
you know, you know the, the politics are you know heavily influenced by finances, and the states are like making a lot of money, yeah. and the federal government, you know, is thinking, okay, well, we should make some money on this in taxation, and then you've got, you know, kind of pharmaceutical industries that are you know, this challenges a lot of their models and existing drugs, things like that. I mean, there's a lots of kind of dynamics around that. What, what, from your point of view, what are the kind of the political and industry dynamics that are impacting just kind of the pure looking to develop research that so we understand yeah. this plant better and how it affects people and where the opportunities are and where the risks and dangers are like where, where, like, how does this work in, in the UK and, and EU? One fact or statistic that I think highlights it quite well, and this is something that I've uh, pretty well documented, between 60 and 80% of funding for research at universities comes from the pharmaceutical industries. And so obviously there's then a lot of vested interests that come with that and a lot of progress Mm -hmm. has been made in other areas and cannabis provides another alternative to those. And so it potentially threatens other areas of research and provides another avenue or potentially a distraction from other areas. And with it being so readily available as well, financially, it's maybe not as viable for companies as it is potentially others. And so there's a massive financial element to the political industry, political conversation, and then throwing in some science in there too. Science has become very politicised, or it's always been politicised, but at the moment, particularly with regards to cannabis, there's always this massive emphasis on there's not enough research, but at the same time, we're not doing anything to facilitate more research. So (laughs) we're just like a walking contradiction in the UK at the moment, and politics is, again, the same walking contradiction. They'll say, oh, we're all about... And this is just... Sorry, politicians, if you're listening, but it's just general, (laughs) like, you, you what... You want to make sure that your actions line up with what you're saying. And again, just UK politics in general, the actions don't really line up with what's being said and the promises don't often aren't often kept. And the facts also don't often line up with the story. And so there's lots of narratives. There's lots of, obviously, media strategies, marketing plans that are all interlinking. And so all of these are just really muddying the waters and holding back progress. So again, this is why the education such a strong and important point or fundamental there's no way people are going to be able to make sense of any of this unless they're investing in education in themselves and the same goes for businesses and business owners investors everyone's incredibly vulnerable if they aren't aware of these factors these variables the ecosystem and all of the influences that are sort of intermingling uh, in the cannabis sector so on your question bruce I think the appetite's there for all of this progress, but there's a lot of institutional structure, should I say, that needs to be modernized, perhaps, and updated. Yes, we've changed the law, but policemen still don't know that medical cannabis is legal for the most part, so you can stop the average policeman, and they probably would still think that cannabis is illegal for everyone, and you get lots of patients still get arrested, and then the cannabis gets returned weeks later because they're like, oh, well, this doesn't look good. But (laughs) the average policeman doesn't know any better, so they're still getting patients pulled over, arrested, getting caught in the criminal system. And the same goes for nurses, doctors, who just don't know that the law has changed as well. And they all have their own personal beliefs, perspectives, and opinions on cannabis. And so it's just really a melting pot of ideologies, I suppose, but then also some facts thrown in there and you can skew those facts in any way you like in the political world. Um, say Fox news versus CNN are going to interpret a yeah, exactly. 
a set of facts completely differently. And so same goes for this cannabis conversation in the UK, unfortunately. And so again, we see our role as sort of trying to help consumers, patients and businesses navigate that and really see it from a scientific perspective where, well, there's no true and false. There's lots of dynamics to sort of manage and lots of um, potentials and unknowns and also un- things we know, things we don't, things we don't know and things we know we don't know and then things we don't know we don't know. And so <laughs> it's just it, yeah. navigating a tunnel with a torch basically and just checking out all the areas and making sure that everything's bulletproof really is all we can do. And science has really been our way of furthering that and contributing to the sector. And so... We enjoy doing it. It's a passion of ours. And then we also get to work with lots of lovely people in the process who are also looking to bring about change and innovate and see a more productive and efficient future, I suppose, where a lot of our, a lot of things are outdated and there's a lot of modernizing needs to happen, especially just to keep pace with technology and the pace of research. Uh, And so it's a natural part of national progress, international progress, global progress. But obviously there's, yeah, lots of structures and yeah. heel dragging I guess to to go along with that so yeah I'd say that's where we're up to at the moment uh, yeah. Bruce hopefully that answers some of your no um, that's helpful uh, in the US we have I guess culturally uh, you know just a history of advocacy and you know kind of being the change and you know individuals mm-hmm. kind of pushing policy and advocating and, and getting things you know laws changed through ballot initiatives and things like that and that's a lot of how the cannabis industry has grown here. It's really kind of grassroots, bottoms up, has pushed mm-hmm. the medical industry, the legal industry to adopt it. And they're now kind of playing catch up. I'm curious, just kind of culturally and structurally there in the UK, do you have that same kind of you know, advocacy force that individuals, you know, patients, users uh, mm-hmm. can sort of advocate and push policy from the ground up? Or how does that not work the same way in the UK? Yeah. Great point, Bruce. So earlier on, I mentioned before 2018 and being involved in some of that patient community, early community. So the build up to the law change was very much a grassroots initiative. And there were cannabis social clubs across the country and still are. And these were just collectives of patients from different communities, different areas who were basically growing in cooperatives, growing themselves, distributing amongst their colleagues in and as a means to sort of move away from the black market and organized crime. Um, and so these communities were really, I guess, the melting pot for that early proto-cannabis industry law change initiative because it was families of epileptic children. It was veterans with PTSD. It was heavily disabled people, people with multiple amputees, for example, all getting together under these communities, having talks, having events, and just saying, well, look, there's something... This doesn't this isn't quite add up and this isn't quite fair. And so twenty eighteen, a bit of industrial steam built up around um some of these families with epilepsy and a lot of them were very badly treated during that time. Um and they were really used sort of as pawns almost in moving certain conversations forward. But from twenty eighteen basically the law changed and from there this is where we had this up, like this is where the separation started in that well we'll make THC accessible but through private clinics so like the whole story that changed the law was um, an epileptic boy who was basically his seizures had completely stopped after taking cannabis oil and so these mothers were flying to Amsterdam and these families were flying to Amsterdam getting products there, medicines there from a pharmacist there and smuggling them back on the plane 
and this was costing them five thousand, ten thousand pounds at a time to go and bulk buy. And basically, this got picked up by the news. This got picked up by some of the industry lobbyists, maybe. And um, this was used as a story to, to basically put pressure on the government. And using that story, they pushed through this um, private prescription CBD product structure, which basically means that all of those patients still have to buy their cannabis privately and only one child has received their prescription via the NHS. And so everyone else, tough luck for you guys, you still pay us thousands of pounds and we'll stop chasing you. So again... The laws change, but still not very fair. And the 90% of people who use cannabis are still criminalized. And I'd argue, say, 99 plus, because those CBD consumers and those people using private prescriptions still rely on the black market as well, um, because it hasn't quite served the population the way that they thought it would. They think every, they thought everyone would stop using black market cannabis and move to CBD in their private prescriptions, and that's not been the case. And so at the moment, that is now the... The challenge for them is to try and get more people to understand CBD and private cannabis. But ultimately, I think people just want it decriminalized and just tax it like they do, um, say, beer and allow people to home produce if they want, decriminalize personal use. And that would probably solve most of the problem. But that also takes away any then of the reliance on CBD products or um, the private prescription route. And so... All of these interests are pretty much a battle and um, just from a human element, decriminalization would be the most sensible and you'd maybe provide community licenses for the communities that are already growing. But yeah, go, rather than cultivate what was already there, we've sort of, it's, I think it's called astroturfing, we've just basically gone and told, told the grassroots community that no, this is it and if you want to join a patient group then you've got to come to one of our one of our new private ones and the industry's really done its best to muddle up and almost uh, tear apart that grassroots community that had moved the laws forward so far. Um, and so there's still that industry community divide and a lot of frustration there as well because there's a lot of people that were promised a lot of things that never really developed and especially the patients, they, that's their like future basically that's been almost taken from them. Um, obviously... Also, then the financial impact for this has been quite significant. And so um, if people are able to produce their own quite cheaply and abundantly, that solves a lot of those problems too. So we've maybe not solved so many of the community problems, but look to profit off of that potentially and maybe uh, favor the potential economic upside over the social upside, uh, which is... Yeah, something that I'm quite disappointed about, but something, again, that I hope that we can slowly change over time. But, yeah, I'd say it's... The frustration's still there, the divide's still there, and it's... Uh, the battle still rages on, I guess. I say the battle, it's it's just... I think there's more of a conversation perhaps happening between the two and everyone's understanding that, well, maybe that law change wasn't quite as effective or ethical as it could have been, and um, hopefully there's a, yeah, a next wave that we can foster that is a bit more scientifically informed and a bit more evidence-based as well that uh, tackles some of the other issues that haven't been addressed by the 2018 law change yeah i'm curious to see how this plays out we'll have to do a, a follow-up episode at some point and definitely see, see how things develop um, chris it's been a pleasure if people want to find out more about you more about the work that you're doing what's the best way to get that information so the best place to find us at the moment is on a website called understandcannabis.co.uk 
And that has links to all of our social media, all of our newsletters, and my email address and uh, contact details are on there. And uh, yeah, that's where you can keep up to date with any initiatives we've got going on. And obviously LinkedIn, feel free to reach out to me there. YouTube, unfortunately, we've got a TikTok as well. It pains me to say it. Um, (laughs) But it turns out you can uh, transfer some of your videos from YouTube over to there pretty easily. So we thought... All the the cool kids are doing it. Yeah, yeah. We winced (laughs) and uh, joined the bandwagon as well. So um, you can also, uh, yeah, see some of our stuff on there. But very happy to answer any questions and very much appreciate your time, Bruce. And thank you for helping us uh, share this message around the UK and uh, help people understand what's going on over here. Yeah, I'll make sure all the uh, information is in the show notes so people can get that. Chris, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Much appreciated. Thank you, Bruce. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.